80% of your happiness comes from 20% of the things. And now all you have to do is figure out what is that 20% of things that gives you 80% of the happiness and double down on that. Because then you don't need to sift through all these clothes and all this food and all this clutter to get to the things that mean the most to you. That was Tom Simak. And this is the Euphoria Health Podcast. Hey there, folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Euphoria Health Podcast. For anyone that is new to the show, my name is Matt Sapala, and I'm your host. I'm a qualified personal trainer and the owner of Euphoria Health and Athletic Living. I am so passionate about holistic health and all of its pillars, including nutrition, movement, recovery, and mindfulness. Through this platform, I strive to help educate and inspire you guys on how you can have longevity and sustainability at the forefront of all your decisions. Let's focus on building healthy foundations and setting a new benchmark for our health, one that can be sustained for the rest of our lives. I want you to create healthful decisions that add years to your life, and I live by this philosophy through my face-to-face coaching and everything that I do. I don't want to be your quick fix, I want to be your only fix. Again, for anyone joining in the conversation for the first time, welcome and thank you. This week I sat down with Tom Simak, who is a voice for change in the plant-based community. He is the host of the Plant Paradigm podcast. He's a wealth of knowledge when it comes to nutrition science and climate science. And as well as all of this, he lives in a van. Yep, him and his fiance Shana are minimalist power couple, which is super cool. In today's chat, Tom and I define what minimalism truly is and just how you can live minimalistic. There are many things at play when deciding to declutter your life or live minimally. Many of these benefits you may not even know you are contributing to, but I'll leave that for Tom to break down. We also spoke about trending topics in the vegan community and provided tips on how you can shift towards a more plant-predominant lifestyle. If you're loving the content, don't forget to leave a rating and the review for the show on iTunes and Spotify. It means the absolute world to me. Well, that's all from me, friends. I'll see you guys on the other side. Tom Simak, welcome to the Euphoria Health Podcast, man. Dude, an absolute pleasure to be here. I, I almost, we just recorded the one for my podcast. So I'm like, wait a second, why are you doing the introduction? I'm, the, I'm still in that mindset. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing great. How are you? <laughs> Things are good, man. It's been, um, yeah, it's been a whirlwind sort of couple of hours since we, you know, we first met this morning. Um, we've been communicating for best part of two or three years now. Um, mm. Love the work that you're doing. Love your podcast. You know, the last conversation that we had on air on your podcast was unreal um and then all the conversations previously to that have just been awesome we get along like a house on fire and it's hard to believe that you know we first met two hours ago so um, and we haven't shut up since no. <laughs> <laughs> it's been non-stop <laughs> yep no it's been it's been epic um so yeah welcome to the show man i um I guess to paint the picture for you guys, we're sitting in my house. Buddy is sitting in his bed. He um he's been a, a little bit, a little bit grumpy this morning. You tell me, boy. 
I don't know what it is. It, it could be the man bun. It could be the vibes. It could just be that the fact that he's sexist. Like, let's be real. She doesn't like guys. <laughs> no, no, on a serious note, but he's a rescue puppy. So he um, gets a little bit anxious around males. Mm. But no, he's been good. Tom's been super, super friendly. And um, yeah, they'll get along soon. We've um, we've just had some coffees. Two Round two. Yeah, round two. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to rock and roll. Oh, man. get Let's get into it. I've got my super greens here midway through. If I ever do like, oh, kind of sound, that's my super greens getting down. I'm excited, though. Like to get, like how much? How many plants do you reckon this has in terms of like plant points? Let me let me look at the specific plants on that. I'll oh, okay. I reckon that we were speaking before. Read me the nutrition I'm about to get when I have these super greens, and we we can kind of make this an ad for you, can't we? Well, yeah. Shout out to you, Emil, um, sponsors of the show. So I do appreciate appreciate your work. This is their super greens powder. The essential eight, which is their multi-nutrient, which is what you'd all be familiar with, um, is the product which I live by. But we've got wheatgrass, wheat seedling, barley grass, whole orange powder, guar gum, uh, broccoli sprout, turmeric, marine magnesium, artichoke, parsley, green cabbage powder, silicon dioxide, dandelion, asparagus powder, cranberry juice powder, black currant juice powder, papaya powder, cherry juice powder, organic spirulina, organic chlorella, organic whole food multinutrient blend, spinach, broccoli, carrot, sweet potato, orange, apple, strawberry, sunflower seed, shiitake mushroom, mitake <laughs> mushroom, citric acid, biofermented probiotics. I won't read them out because they're tongue twisters. Vitamin B1, vitamin B2. So... Yeah, the picture of health in a... Yeah, I just finished it. You know, as far as greens go, if someone... This is my honest review, um, to be honest. As far as greens go, it's one of the better juices, I think, because no one's drinking this expecting it to taste amazing. If you are, this is probably not the right product for you. You're probably better off with like a kombucha or something. But um, that, that yeah, that was actually pretty good. And considering I just got about 30 plant points there, I'm, I'm stoked with that. Yeah, it's, um, it's a great, I guess insurance policy to a plant-rich diet that's, mm. that's a lot that's of green I, I think that one drink and i eat a lot of greens but that was probably more greens in one drink that i'd have in most days yeah like i'm sitting here eating have you tried sprouts love sprouts do you love sprouts yeah, how alfalfa, do you love broccoli oh, sprouts can't do it alfalfa is okay but broccoli sprouts taste so bad yeah right you, you actually genuinely like, like them. them yeah in, in a salad like you don't go out and eat sprouts like well, I, I listen to like you know? Rich Roll and he says like sometimes he snacks on him and I'm like, yeah. no freaking way. That thing's so bitter. Yeah, I couldn't do that. I, I, I eat it. I'm like, oh, I just, I understand, you know, insane levels of sulforaphane and so many longevity benefits. But then I'm like, I, I would just rather not. Yeah. Like give me my banana or, <laughs> or apple or watermelon, these sweet, juicy, lively fruits and vegetables. Yeah. I think um, to get a lot of the health benefits without the, um, the... Ick for, for a trending word. Let's mm. use ick. Um, yeah, definitely add them to a smoothie or a salad and it's sort of masked by the other flavors. So mm. now sprouts are the go-to. I'm not sure if you've heard of Doug Evans before. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, sprout the, king. Sprout, the Sprout King. Yeah, and, and that's why I tried it because I've got my Sprout Kit at home and I was so excited. I'm like, oh, the, the benefits are just going to be insane. And then I just failed so hard with it because I made it and I crushed that part. I've done the mung beans and all these different ones, but it just, if someone has a hack, like, let me know. Because <laughs> even smoothies, I, like, you got to use just a little bit, you know, just a little bit on top of like a bowl or something. Yeah. Yeah. No, but I'm jealous that you like it. It's an it. acquired taste, that's for sure. 
Mm. Um, well, what a start. We're, we're in the topic of sprouts. I didn't have that plan, but I love it, Tom. I think that's mm. the, the theme of both the podcasts today is we're just going to go with the punches and roll with the punches, I should say, and go wherever it takes us. I guess to paint the picture for everyone, who who are you, Tom? And like, talk to us. You've you've got this incredible podcast, the Plant Paradigm Podcast. I want to dive into your house in a van, which is parked mm-hmm. about ten meters away, which is incredible. We will unpack that a bit later on, but let's paint the picture, Tom. Who are you, man? And what was life like for Tom Simak growing up? Oh, cool. Um, well, I'm a European. I was born over in former Yugoslavia, and I came over here. And went to school and did all my things. And, you know, like you, I struggled with weight a little bit when I was younger in a very different way to you. Um, I've had, and I don't talk about it fairly often because it doesn't come up and I don't let it define me or who I am now. But, you know, I struggled with bulimia and um, for a while. And, and especially as a guy, I think growing up, you're like, i got to get ripped and shredded to, um, you know, get the girls and all this kind of stuff. And I'd, I'd go the whole day eating one muesli bar. Um, and if I had dinner, I'd be in the toilet afterwards trying to get it out. So that kind of paints a picture of why I think health is super important. Kind of, I wasn't a hundred kilos overweight or anything like that, but weight's really complicated and we don't, we don't get taught it unfortunately at school or anything, but now everything is all good. And I, if I were to define who I am, is just someone who's interested in sustaining um, and bringing longevity to every single ecosystem, whether that's through, um, information on climate change, nutrition, um, it, it could be ethics and morality and philosophy. So I guess to define who I am in, in, a, in a nutshell is I like running, I like working out and I like conversations. Um, I, I guess I don't want to complicate it too much and I host the Plant Paradigm podcast as you alluded to earlier, which is just a platform to, to facilitate conversations about topics, especially like climate change because I it's a daunting topic. It's huge. It affects every single one of us. In Australia, we have insane bushfires, floods. We've got billions and trillions of animals dying because of these natural disasters. Human beings are losing their houses, losing their livelihoods, um, becoming disconnected from the, the government because maybe not enough help has been given. And, and all this chaos arises from this incredible complex thing like climate change and what does climate change do? Where does it come from? How can we tackle this issue? It's such a deep topic that scares the crap out of everyone. Is it because we use too much plastic straws? Is it because we eat a certain diet? Is it because we drive cars instead of ride bikes? Well, that's, you know, diving into that. And I don't think anyone really knows everything. And we're learning about it a lot now. But essentially, my goal and who I am is is trying to explore different solutions around all those different topics while not dying of climate anxiety and still living a happy life through exercise, through a lot of your values, the community, the connection, uh, making sure you're the best version of yourself. So that's, um, I guess, a good good way to set the preface for, for who I am and my values. Wow. So much to unpack there, man. Like, you know, I think we'll dive into the climate situation a little bit later on in the podcast, but I really resonated with what you said earlier um, and... I didn't know this about you until now. So thank you so much for sharing about your, your battles with bulimia. And I think, you know, from a, an eating disorder perspective, um, it's really taboo for guys to like speak about these, these issues. And you're not the only guy that goes through it, but I'd love to unpack your experiences with bulimia and be the voice for change in the community. Cause I think, you know, it's, it's typically associated with, you know, females having bulimia, mm. but dude, like, 
wow, like what was your your story? Yeah. Well, I don't I don't usually mention it too much because I I almost feel guilty for going through that experience a little bit because I didn't come from a crappy household. Like I had food accessible anytime I wanted it. I had the funds available to go to the canteen and get some food. But when it comes to that experience, I think it just comes down to body dysmorphia and not being educated on what really happens. Like I guess it, it is the extreme of calorie ins and calorie out. Like if you don't eat calories, you've got to lose weight. Um, and, and I guess the focus should just be on making that sustainable. And I, I didn't know this. I was... I think maybe 15 or 16 at the time and I would go the whole day, uh, I'd skip breakfast or I'd have a muesli bar for breakfast, I would play basketball, play soccer for the school and I remember vividly like on the bus home from like playing a two-hour soccer game, I wouldn't fall asleep but I'd pass out on the bus and I would just wake up and everyone's like getting off the bus and, and you don't feel revitalized and you just feel sick and then I'd go home, I'd eat dinner and then be like, oh no, this is too much food and I'd go into the toilet and I'd regurgitate that food because I thought it can't stay in me too long and now I don't feel hungry. I'm like, what a win. And in my mind, I didn't really understand what bulimia was. That just made sense to me. If I don't eat, I can't gain weight, which means I will lose weight and then I'll be able to get the girl or feel the best or be the alpha in the group or whatever that is. And that just kind of went like that for Oh man, I don't even know how long I just, I wouldn't eat. And I, I got, I wasn't overweight. I was a bit chubby when I was younger, but I got pretty thin and I would just work out so much. Like I'd be doing, I'd wake up in the morning and go for a 5k run before school. At lunchtime, I was always playing basketball or footy and straight after school to the gym next to my school. So I went and gym for like an hour or two and then I'd go home and maybe have a few muesli bars or like a protein shake for dinner. So it was just a complete lack and then that, of course, like you always feel acidic and it was, it was a really crappy feeling. Eventually, um, I, I don't even know how I got out of that circle. I think it was just um, the fact that I have had an abundance of food all around me. I, it was hard to avoid food. So I think if I was really into food, I would be 100% super overweight. But I was just so, I just didn't know how to be the healthiest version of yourself. And as you kind of and then you kind of go on the bodybuilding.com, kind of like your experience. And I found out, okay, people are eating more calories. And I kind of went through that yo-yo thing. But yeah, for anyone kind of going through that, I think what was really important to me was, um, I guess, assessing that there is an, there is an issue and, and there's, there are better ways to do things. And it's just not sustainable. Anyone who's ever had you know anorexia or bulimia or any form of body dysmorphia knows that there is no there is no way that you can get out of that after 12 months and be a better version of yourself if you continue down that road. But look, I, I, don't, I don't know if I would say I'm grateful for that um, moment because it was a lot of pain and a lot of mental angst, I suppose. But it teaches you, I'm grateful in a way that I know that is not the way to go. And I know from a personal standpoint and having now met a lot of other people that go through that, Again, mainly females. I'm not sure why with the guys are just not talking about it or maybe we're not asking. I don't know what the issue is. But yeah, just I guess I, I don't know where to take this point, but it was just good to know. I, I'm grateful that it happened, but it, yeah, I, I, I don't know if what the ways to tackle something like that. Like if someone else was going through that, really just looking. I, I What would work for me is if someone just looked me in the eye and just, asked me if I was okay 
and really talking about why that doesn't work because you don't know. You don't know the answer. You're not educated. So, And the worst thing is making someone else feel guilty um, or ashamed, which is maybe why a lot of guys don't talk up because they want to be the alpha. Yeah, I think it's a difficult topic to unpack and a lot of people are not trained to be able to deal with eating disorders from a one-on-one point of view. So I would definitely, definitely highlight if you're someone that has identified that you've got some disordered eating habits um, and disordered eating, eating habits don't have to be an eating a, diso- a diagnosed eating disorder. They can be things like what we spoke about before about having some meals and then going to vomit it up or the mindset around food. I think that it definitely it um, requires attention and it requires one-on-one work with, with a psychologist, a dietitian um, to develop an action plan and, and develop a recovery plan and, and really dig deeper to find out your why, your reasoning why you believe that you have to act this way mm. to get those outcomes you know so i think yeah definitely want to preface that by by asking for help and and seeing a qualified professional that knows how to deal with this situation because you know you can't deal with this this sort of stuff yourself and a lot of eating disorders go undiagnosed and Mm. disordered eating habits they they're very prevalent and i face them personally Mm. as we spoke about my last podcast i didn't have a diagnosed eating disorder but my eating habits were not quote-unquote normal so i think normalizing the conversation around disordered eating habits and seeking help and guidance um, in that specific realm is definitely required. Now, Tom, I I want to ask a question and, and pull apart that a little bit further. Did anyone else know about these no. habits or was this done in secret? Just in secret. Like if anyone would, would catch me or notice that I was regurgitating after dinner, I'd just say I'm feeling sick. And that was a really easy excuse. Um and I kind of thought about before I did it, like, what if someone caught me and I just say that one thing? And I can't remember. I don't know if it's suppressed subconsciously to go really deep and be my own psychiatrist, psychologist. Um, but yeah, I would just, I would just say that. And you know, I didn't have anyone to talk to. I think now people are a lot more accepting that these issues can happen. Like it was really, I think, a lot more taboo back then, um, like ten years ago, than it is now. I think it is a lot more especially now that a lot more people have come out and said, this is what I've overcome. This is what I've faced. People can be there for each other, but I like, I wouldn't open up. No way I'd open up to the boys about this thing that makes me feel like, um, vulnerable and less masculine. Like, why would you open up about that? So I'm grateful that now I feel like there is a cultural and societal shift to talk about that a lot more openly. Um, I haven't dived into what, or why I was doing at the time besides just wanting to be liked and taking that to a really unhealthy level because, well, I don't know. I guess it all comes down to what you perceive, who you look up to. Or maybe I looked, I can't remember, maybe I looked up to someone who was shredded. How do you get there? There wasn't that widespread information like there is now on the internet. So I feel like, I don't know. I wonder what the stats are as to if it's more, People are more susceptible now than they were before. I would personally argue maybe not, but I don't have any um, statistics to back me up. So, yeah, I'd find that really fascinating. I think, yeah, I don't have any statistics at all to back me up. But what I know is things that I'm seeing from uh, of like a one-on-one point of view that I'm noticing signs, early signs of disordered eating behaviors. 
and I think we spoke about it in your podcast time. It, it's like, it's everything that we're conditioned to believe and how we're conditioned to think and things we're, you know, that are placed in our environment. Like mm-hmm. we, we hear these words thrown away, thrown around like cheat day or mm. if it fits your macros or like scare, you know. It's just the, bro science. It yeah, is, yeah. it is. But subconsciously what that's doing is it's really hard to quantify and often we don't notice the impacts until you know, it's too late until we've got to diagnose quote unquote eating disorder. So I think, yeah, knowing the signs, educating yourself on the signs, educating your community on the signs and offering, you know, some support from a qualified professional is definitely the way forward. And, and like, obviously that's something that we can do from a, you know, from a, a community point of view, but there definitely does need to be some societal shift. But like we spoke about before, that happens from a community level first. So, 100%. yeah, like I guess, again, just to reiterate, if anyone's like going through any of those sorts of symptoms, please reach out for support. You know, there is so much support mm-hmm. out there for eating disorder recovery, um, disordered eating behaviors. If you're unsure, if you've, you know, if you're expressing these signs of symptoms, please reach out to me. I'd be more than happy to help where I can within my scope and then forward you on to someone who's more specialized in that. But thanks Tom for sharing that, man. I know it's a, it's a pretty vulnerable space and it's, it's quite hard to to open up about it. I don't know why I really started with that. It's not something I go to. I I don't think I've ever said it on, on with a microphone on having done over a hundred episodes of my own show and been interviewed for others. It's nothing that comes up, but I wanted to, reshare that vulnerability since you offered it on my podcast talking about your you know you being 100 kilos when you should have been 40 at a healthy like that takes vulnerability to admit that there was an issue there and it might have been on a different level but that does take vulnerability to to admit so i just wanted to offer that in return Thanks, man. I love where the <laughs> podcast is heading. Now, I want to circle back to that a bit later on, but yep. you mentioned that you've got your own podcast, The mm-hmm. Plant Paradigm. How did this come about, mate? And talk to us a little bit about yeah. the journey so far. Yeah, sweet. So, it started out as a travel guide, actually. It started out as How to Travel Vegan, um, and it was like that for maybe a year or so, and it was just travel guides. So, if someone wanted, like, we were traveling the world. I was a travel agent at the time, and I used to win trips, and we were just traveling all over the place, and I'm like, man, traveling as a vegan... I know a lot of people would have a lot of issues with anxiety of what am I going to eat? Is it just going to be potato chips and, (laughs) and crap? So I'm like, I don't know if that's true. And so I went on this journey of figuring out, all right, where do I eat in Seattle? Where do I go in Bali, Thailand, um, Vietnam, all across Vietnam, like Hanoi, Ho Chi Minh. Um, and it was, it was at a global scale and I, I only did like maybe 50, 50 episodes, um, of that. And that kind of dives into the language barriers, what apps to download the top five restaurants. So I was still doing my research. I was doing like the top five best restaurants and I was diving into the owners, the founders, the reviews. Like if you've only got two days in the place, where do you want to eat? Because there's people out there that just travel for food. Like I would drive to the other side of the city for a cafe and I just want to be that um, resource for other people. Almost like, like I saw Happy Cow and I'm like, there's no audio version of this at all, period at the time. I'm like, why? What if I'm just driving to the city or if I'm just hopping in an Uber in Bangkok and I just want to go somewhere to eat, all right, let's get this quick three, four minute episode and, and go eat there. And then that kind of, I people kept reaching out to get interviewed and I wanted to interview a few people out of curiosity and selfish needs as well. So I ended up changing it to the plant paradigm eventually, which, you know, the plant paradigm just means what is the power of plants 
What can it do? And where does your mindset take you? So if I asked you, Matt, when you think of plants as a technology and as a tool, where does your mind go? Wow, I don't really even know how to answer that. When I think of plants now, I guess I'm conditioned to think of like food, like plant-based foods. And what I does that do for your body? Nourishes. That's right. And, and that's exactly where I want it to go. Like if we think of plants as a food, okay, that nourishes our body. What does eating uh, apple do for the environment? What about the agricultural CO2? What about now we've got plastics. Now we've got plant alternatives of plastics like bioplastics made from corn, from pineapple, um, from all these different resources. How does that affect everything? And so it turned into a platform to talk about paradigms of environmentalism, talk about environment, uh, health, it could be running, could be nutrition, whatever it is. So that, that's kind of what it turned into, an interviewing leaders in the field. So... And I, I know we've had a lot of uh, overlapping guests, Jimmy Halfcar, Dara Hayes. Uh, I interview a lot more scientists in the climate-heavy kind of space, only because it's such a complicated topic that's really hard to simple down. And a lot of people get overwhelmed with it, much like if you start on your nutrition journey and you're thinking about, okay, how many calories do I need in a day? How do I make sure I hit all my iron and my calcium and protein and I, I can't, I'm, I don't want to overemphasize protein, but maybe other ones like manganese and magnesium and all, all these different nutrients. So it's just having that holistic point of view for how can we design a lifestyle based on the available knowledge we have around climate change, longevity, um, health in general, actually, um, the way we move, the way we breathe, the way we drive to work, all these facets and become the most, the paradigm we build is the most eco-friendly um, user-friendly mode and system of life. You do your best with what you know, and when you know better, you do better. That is the best. I, I could have summed up five minutes of talking with that one <laughs> sentence right there. <laughs> no, I think, yeah, you elaborate on that perfectly, Tom. And, you know, like, I think we both share the same value that, you know, life, you're constantly learning, whether that be mm-hmm. about many different facets of life. So, finding what you're passionate about and taking life on a journey and you're, you're never at that destination, having the mindset that, you know, life is a journey. I know it's a very much a cliche, but life is a journey and the destination is the journey. So learning to approach a situation like that. Let me rephrase it. Uh, I heard this recently because I always used to say life is a journey, but using the word journey um, kind of has that destination role. And, and, you know, you could say life is a journey, but enjoy the destination. Now, I've learned to reframe that as life is a quest and you've got this big quest and then on that quest, you've got these little side missions and quests that you can go to. But with a quest, there's no real destination with a quest because you can have a quest that just goes on forever. So a quest can be like, I want to live my best life. That is a quest. And you, you can never, ever finish with that quest. I want to redefine and be happy with my relationships that is also a quest that doesn't have an end point no, even if you said i want to i'm on a journey to um get the best relationships you need to define what that journey is but i find the word quest is a little bit of a tweak on that that i think in our minds mentally we assume that there's no ending like i mean we grow up with games that always have little quests like with gta you know you got the main mission but all these quests they're just they're so exciting they're exhilarating their bonuses and i feel like it um is a nice little i found that it's helpful as a nice little shift of mentality um as a yeah 
just as a little side note there. Yeah, I think that's beautifully summed up and I'll relate that back to fitness because it's what I know, fitness and health and nutrition. Like when we're setting goals, I always encourage my my community to set process-driven goals because mm. they never have an endpoint. Whereas, you know, someone that comes and says, oh, I want to lose 10 kilos, that's a great goal to mm. have. But how are we going to get there? Mm. And if we understand the process and set goals, process goals along the way, it makes that big goal much more achievable in the first and much more fulfilling once we achieve there. You know, like you don't, someone climbing Mount Everest obviously has the goal to get to the top of Everest, but you can't do that all at once. You need to break it down to the smaller goals. So like first we're going to get from ground to base camp. Yeah. You know, so breaking down fitness and life goals into into smaller process goals, I really feel like that's the key to longevity and that's the key to actually enjoying the process rather than having that destination goal in mind because once we get there then nothing will ever be enough you know because then we have a new goal right uh, yeah so we get to point. lose 10 kilos and it's like oh we celebrate that but what's next yeah whereas if we have smaller process goals you know we're inching that bit closer we're enjoying the process and we're actually learning what it's like to lead a lifestyle to get to the top mm. well it kind of goes back to that like leaving sorry losing 10 kilos in six weeks or whatever your thing is you know that's that's a side quest it's not it's not where I feel like people, you're right, people do overemphasize these small, arbitrary, albeit noble goals. But the, the quest is, and I think people just don't know, or they haven't set the time aside to figure out their values. They don't have that why behind it. And I cannot speak to that more eloquently than Simon, um, Simon Sinek. He says it incredibly, but if you don't know your why, you are going to flop and then you're going to feel guilty and ashamed. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't lose that 10 kilos. What's wrong with me instead of saying my values weren't in the right place when I was going about that mission? Like I'm sure as a, as a trainer, you have to emphasize values for that not your quick fix mentality because if you don't, then you're just going to flop, feel ashamed, and then you, you're you going to feel like a failure. So I think that's a really important point. I think just to tie that in a bow as well, celebrating successes and celebrating small wins because like if we're not celebrating the wins that we achieve, mm. then we're putting so much emphasis on this big goal, but we don't know how to celebrate, right? And the big goal can take months, years, mm. decades in some cases. Like, wouldn't we want to enjoy those months, years or decades? Right. So setting those smaller goals, celebrating those successes and then moving forward. For example, to put that into practicality, like if you're you know, on a quest to lose 10 kilos, losing that first kilo, huge celebration. Huge Give win. yourself a pat on the back. Mm. I know, indulge in a oat latte, whatever, <laughs> you know, whatever you feel like is an appropriate celebration. Have a veggie bar. <laughs> get back to work, you yeah. know, like it, it's all about celebrating successes and keeping the fire burning to get to the big goal. Mm. I think with celebrating successes, it does require a bit of vulnerability as well because I think with a lot of people, and it depends on your upbringing, sometimes I think parents need to do and when I even see parents of younger kids, they're, they're not fantastic at validation. Um, and I think us as humans are not fantastic at validation because when someone speaks, you, some people are always just thinking, oh, how can I add value to this conversation? But in a way that's, I'm not present. And so where I'm going with this is being vulnerable to celebrate. And that can come in lots of different ways. Like actually taking that moment to yourself to be like, shit, yeah. Like I, I won that and you... Because I think a lot of time we don't think we're good enough. That's like a common human thing. I think a lot of people can relate to that. But celebrating is an incredible way to really admit I am worthy of this goal. 
Um, like an example, when I ran my first marathon last year, I think it was, that is hard. If anyone's run a marathon, it's, you know, it's a bit of a marathon. So um, you're trudging along. I had an ankle injury. My ankle was swollen and that's only halfway through. But I'm like, I'm going to push the hell out of this. And four and a half hours later, I'm limping to the finish line and I'm just crying. Like I'm just bowling. I'm like, I'm in so much pain, but that's not why I was crying. I was crying because I'm so proud of myself. I could have given up as soon as I got that injury, which to be fair, probably the healthier option. (laughs) But as you're finishing that run or that side quest, whatever that is for you, you know, I let myself be vulnerable. Those people all around me and because they saw me finish and be vulnerable, they were crying. They're not the ones running this race, but they're once you become vulnerable and you can celebrate your wins without reservation, other people start to root for you. Like I grabbed my, my fiance, Sean, by the arm. I'm like, I couldn't have done this without me. Finish the last hundred meters with me. And then I'm just, you let yourself have that win, have that moment and then reflect on that. And then, like you said, get back to work. Appreciate that moment. You, you did it. You're worthy. Lots of people maybe said you couldn't do it. Maybe you said you couldn't do it. But now get back to work and keep fighting towards your values, whatever that is. Because running a marathon, while that could have been the goal, the goal was to be the fittest version of myself. And that's a different quest. I think you summed that up beautifully, Tom. And I think like as humans, we don't set aside enough time to celebrate. We don't set aside enough time to allow ourselves the space to celebrate because we're like, all right, cool, what's next? But like what we don't realize looking back into a bigger picture is like that time investment to celebrate keeps the fire burning to get there rather than getting to, you know, stage four and feeling burnt out and fatigued. If we celebrate at each mini stage along the way, you know, we have this newfound energy to be able to continue to grind through the, the periods where they require grind. And I always emphasize this with my... PT clients and I always ha- I have a small wins highlight reel on my Instagram page so people can understand awesome. the importance of small wins one of those small wins was someone one of my PT clients not being able to lift overhead for years we're m- lifting 2.5 kilos overhead to some people that's like oh congratulations you lift 2.5 kilos but the backstory to that you mm. haven't been able to lift weights over your head for two and a half uh, for five years and now we're lifting two and a half kilos over your head that's a huge win mm. But we're celebrating really cool. that and then we're moving on. That's stoked. I'm really stoked that you celebrate those small wins like that. Because that, for that person, um, there's a really good saying I, I once heard from this guy. I interviewed Martin Skidal and he was talking about cleaning up rubbish. He lives in, I think it's Norway and they have a lot of islands off Norway that just collect insane amounts of plastic pollution. And I say, what's the point of cleaning up this rubbish? When in the grand scheme of things, it means nothing. And he really blew my mind a little bit and he said, for the small island that you're cleaning, for you, it means nothing. But for that small island, it means the whole world. And so to celebrate those small wins from that person's perspective means more than you could ever imagine. Like for you, that could just mean, that could you be, congratulations, I'm really proud of you. And that takes five seconds of your time. But for that person, like he's going to be thinking about that in one year's time. Like I, I did that thing. People acknowledge me. I felt good. I'm going to continue striving to become the best version of myself. Or I'm going to continue doing X, Y, and Z. Yeah, beautifully said, Tom. And I think, yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. 
if anyone's listening at home, I guess the the big picture is celebrate those small wins. 100%. However big they are or however small they are to you, make sure you celebrate them because they will keep the fire burning to get to wherever you need to go, whether your goal is fitness or life-related in general. Mm. I think, um, yeah, definitely celebrate it. Hey there, friends. I just have a quick word from our show sponsor and then we'll get right back to it. My Euphoria Health community would know that I adopt a plant-exclusive diet, a diet that is often placed under the microscope and labelled as a diet that lacks nutrients. While majority of the essential nutrients can be attained from a plant-rich diet, there are some nutrients that need a little extra love. Lucky for us plant-based folk, Emil, working together with Simon Hill, have teamed up and formulated the Essential 8 Multi-Nutrient, which features some key nutrients that plant-based eaters may fall short on. The 8 key nutrients formulated in the capsules include Omega-3, DHA EPA, Iodine, Selenium, Iron, Vitamin D3, Vitamin B12, Calcium and Zinc. Conveniently, just two capsules per day provide me with the ability to bulletproof my plant-rich diet as well as ensuring I'm not falling short on any nutrients of focus. I personally take two capsules of Essential 8 every day with breakfast, which ensures I can maintain my vital bubbly self and continue to promote active living within the community. The best part about this is that Emil have taken the hassle out of the reordering process through their monthly subscription model. Essential 8 just arrives at my doorstep each month, no questions asked. To get yours, head to www.emil.com forward slash euphoria health. That's www.emile.com forward slash Y-O-U, the number four, I-A, health. Be sure to use the code EUPHORIAHEALTH at the checkout for an extra 5% off your first order on top of the generous subscription discount. I'll have a direct link in the show notes for you guys. All right, let's get back to it. I want to pivot a little bit, Tom, and talk about van life. So okay. you took me, you gave me a bit of a tour of your um your your humble home. Yes, it is to some people tiny. To me, it is so spacious and bloody awesome. Talk to us a little bit about van life. And it's pretty big when you get in there. Oh, 100%, man. Um, Talk to us a little bit about how that came about and um, how you're finding van life. Cool. So... Me and my fiance Shana, we we bought a van last year. It was already done up. We're not good with our hands and tools like that. We've did a few modifications, but it's a 2015 Volkswagen Crafter long wheelbase. So it's about um, just under seven meters long, um, and I can I'm um, 183 centimeters. I can stand up fully in there. Um, to paint a picture for people, it's got your toilet, it's got a shower, it, everything's minimal. Like the toilet is in the shower, and it's got a sink, it's got a kitchen area. We store everything we need, but it's just the best way to get around town, really. Like, not not in the city, but it depends on your values. Like, er- everything, you know, if you, everyone knows what van life kind of is. They've seen the Instagram reels. They've seen the Pinterest. They've seen what these cool lifestyles is like. And it's just about being open to new experiences, really. We, we just wanted to try it. Because in Australia, if anyone's listening to Australia, they know how hard it is to travel to those little towns in between. Like, Melbourne to Sydney, nine-hour drive. All the things in the middle, you've got like um, Wollongong, you've got Lakes Entrance, you've got all these insanely, like Eden, Marimbula, like you've got insane amounts of beauty in between the capital cities where the main airports are. So Australia, places like Australia, Europe, actually pretty much every place in the world. So untouched. So untouched. Like the places we, we got into some of these days, I'm just like, 
what a beautiful place that we would have never, ever been able to... Like, I remember this one time we were driving from... We went from Cairns to Melbourne, which takes about 33 hours if you were to do it in one stint. And we had to fill up fuel and we drove... I'm just like, oh, let's just find the nearest fuel stop here. And we drove like down 20 minutes down this valley through like trees to find this quaint town that I don't think you could see from an airplane because it was just surrounded by trees. And it was like 150 years old, just these local people just having a yarn. Like the experience is very different with life. Like I look at a place like your, I guess this is called a townhouse, right? I look at this and I'm like, this is humongous. Like this living room that we're sitting in has got like double to triple the amount of living space that I have in the van. And it really gives you the set of values that you need. Like we fit our whole life in one van. All our clothes, a lot of my camera gear, my podcast gear, um, all of our laundry and our dishes and our cooking equipment and our food and our board games, what we do for entertainment, work stuff, everything. And so if I were to talk about who it's for, it's not for someone who loves a lavish life. Like we've had mosquito bites, we've had spiders in the van, we've, you know, you don't have service sometimes you might run through a dodgy part of town but for someone who's into minimalism and someone who's into really exploring in a way that lets you be open to new experiences it is a pretty cool way of life and a lot of people that we talk to always say oh i wish i did that and look there's no better part time than now um to do something like that and not because of the era that we're in I will say there's no better time than now regardless of when you listen to this episode because if you want to do something, whether it's for a week or for a lifestyle, like if people think, I heard this quote recently and I'll try not to butcher it too much. If people think the price of success or the price of happiness is too high, wait till you get the bill from fear and regret. It's you, if you want to be experience these things such as Uh, freedom or life in a van or you want to figure out what it's like to live in an apartment in a city or you want to spend three months in Amsterdam or you want to start a podcast like it's just about doing it and we didn't know if we would really like van life and we've changed a lot of things and I could give you a list of negatives about it too I can't cook after 5 p.m because we run on solar and it's it's a fully self-sustaining van but I can't cook after that time so we either have to cook earlier in the day or we have to um, cook meals that don't require co- uh, a lot of heat, something like a sandwich or a salad or a bowl with beans, like something really simple. Laundry, we don't have our own laundry. We have to go to a, a laundromat and just wait for the laundry to do its thing. Now, you can do other things in that time. There's lots of complications. You have to fill up water every now and again. We go to the toilet in the same place we shower. I don't even fit in the bed. Like I could give you a lot of negatives, but that is a perspective shift to just think about the positive experiences, the people you meet. And if I hadn't done it, oh man, I would be browsing Instagram, saving Pinterest, all the people living their best life because I was too scared or I lived in this mentality of what if. And also it's pretty sustainable. Like I'm not going to lie. I, I don't, besides the fuel that we fill up, We just use water, like we're all solar. And so that's also another thing, like I value sustainability and I live in a van. You can't get much more sustainable than that. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on your head. Wow, like 
it's it's an incredible mindset to have and life can be so much gray but when we simplify it to black and white things become so much easier right like Mm. our decision making becomes easier you're the in or you're out you know like we complicate life by hovering in this gray zone the gray zone creates anxiety creates stress creates fear but when we're in the black or the white we're either in or out like creates so much simplicity and it allows decisions that we once thought were too hard to make to Mm -hmm. be made really instantly 100% you know and I think if anyone doesn't take anything from the podcast besides that like just do and deal with the rest as you come obviously there's multiple circumstances that come into play and but dealing with them as you go I feel like you understand resilience you learn how to adapt on the fly and you learn how to control the controllables right because time spent worrying about things that you can't control is a awful waste of time because you can't control it anyway you're just worried about things that you can't control so simplify that down it's black or white can i control it no can i control it yes make changes Mm. if you can't then move on you know like it's a real real simplified version but like there's so much beauty in that as well i feel like you've taken action on that Mm. i think life is a lot simpler than what people make it out to be and i know you would agree for sure i think it just comes down to knowing your values so if you value um, not leaving a bad footprint on this planet, if you value being climate friendly, for example, if you go and say, should I get this plastic bag or a reusable bag? The, the answer is super simple, reusable bag. If you value health and you've got a choice between eating, I'm going to be really reductionist for a moment, of course, it's a lot bigger than that, a banana or a cookie, the choice is easy. And you just remove yourself from the equation once you understand your values. But I think a lot of people just don't get it. They don't get their values. If you value health and you text matt last second that you can't come to the training session because you cbf that's not congruent with your values and that's how you become unhappy because you've got the person who you are on the inside and then you've got the person that you're giving the world and the further distant they are from your inside being your values the further unhappy you're going to be the closer you get to happiness is the closer in line who you want to be and who you are on the outside become if you want to be someone who is um, happy, happiness is not an end destination, kind of what we were talking about before. Happiness is a habit. And so aligning yourself with your values and aligning, making sure the decisions that you make are, are value-driven ma- makes life so much easier. There's so many complicated, that you could find four different ways to get to work today. What is the one that you value most based on the, Uh, CO2 emission based on how quick it is, based on how safe you feel. If you understand your values, life just becomes so much simpler. And in that simplicity is a bow ribbon tied box of happiness. Beautiful said, mate. I um, I couldn't have said it better myself. You touched on the word minimalistic before. I think I want to get your definition. I'm going to look up the actual definition mm-hmm. of minimalistic, but for the listeners at home, what is your definition of minimalism and living minimalistic? Uh, only keeping on and having around you the things that you value. All right. So the Google, Dr. Google <laughs> definition of minimalistic is minimalist living or simplistic living is nothing new. The concept which involves freeing yourself from clutter and to put it colloquially, stuff has been around for some time. In fact, you can find mentions of minimalism through history. So 
I've just clicked on the first one. That's not really that relevant, but I guess to dig a bit deeper, it's just removing yourself from clutter and, and finding what's, I guess, you value the most. 100%. And, and you do that through the posi- situations you put yourself in. Like when we first moved into the van, our van was full. And now I would say it's about a third of that. And that's in a van. Like we don't even have a full van. Like I've got some empty spots in the shelves because if you look at, have you read the 80-20 principle? Uh, I've used a, a simplified version for my PT clients, but go on, you talk. Yeah, so it's a book by Richard Koch and it's an incredible read for anyone interested, but 80% of your happiness comes from 20% of the things. And now all you have to do is figure out what is that 20% of things that gives you 80% of the happiness and double down on that. So where it comes to minimalism is the clothes that you wear, if you look at your cupboard, now 80-20 isn't an exact rule. It could be 70-30, it could be 51-49, it could be whatever, but a majority always comes from minority. If you look at your closet, 80% of the clothes that, 80% of the time you wear 20% of the clothes. Sorry, I had it the other way. If you look at the food that you enjoy, 80% of the food that you enjoy, you might only eat 20% of the time. Now that's a problem. You have to switch it around and be like, 80% of the time I'm eating all the foods that I enjoy. And that raises your level of happiness. So if if you look at a group of friends, like 10 people, let's say two friends, whenever I hang out with them, they give me 80% of my joy. So then you got to double down on those mates that give you 80% of the joy. That's all it is. And that's all minimalism is, is finding that 20% of things that give you 80% of the happiness and going hard on that. Because then you don't need to sift through all these clothes and all this food and all this clutter to get to the things that mean the most to you. I was just about to ask you, how do you decide what to cut and keep? But I'm pretty sure you answered it. Yeah, that is the easy way to think about it. And that might take trial and error. It took us... um, us a few months but it you know it's it's a conscious way of living because you're not contributing then to um firstly you're not contributing to buying extra things that uh have an environmental impact especially if you don't need it and that's that's just the way i think i think it's a good rule of thumb i guess to live life just with that 80 20 rule and just understanding that in lots of different ways like even if we were to talk about working out 80 percent of the benefits are going to come from 20 percent of the workouts and those 20% of workouts are going to shift over time. So if you're imbalanced and you need more upper body work than lower body or, or however your personal situation is, you know that at that moment in time, you're going to get most of your benefit from a, a few particular exercises. Like Especially if we look at like the workout world in general, we know that there are key workouts. That if you just did like your squat, your deadlift, your bench, uh, not even sit up, like I'd say plank instead of sit up, but a few key milestones, the 20% of total workouts available that will give most people 80% of the gains that they're looking after, looking for, sorry. Yeah, I think it's um, it's really beautifully said. And, you know, I look at, made me rethink this whole conversation about one simple thing, like the amount of glasses I have in this house, like drinking glasses. Like I live by myself and, you know, my partner, Beck, comes around every now and again. I have mates around, but I reckon I've got 25 glasses up there. Shut like, up. Like, is that just collecting glasses or is that gifts or you just like to buy glasses? No, nah, I actually got them gifted to me, but like, I don't need, I use the same glass. I use the same coffee cup every day. Like, you know, it just makes you really rethink like, why are we keeping this stuff for a rainy day when mm. if we really need it on the rainy day, 
we can just get it or we can mm. make do with what we've got. You know what I mean? Like we keep these these things in our life in the hope that we might need them once. But like I've got four chairs. I, see, I live alone. Why do I have four <laughs> chairs? Like it's something so simple, but like I can't answer the question. I've had friends around. If I have friends around, like I've got a couch here. Just spin that the other way mm. around. You know what I mean? Like life becomes so simple like that. Mm. Um, obviously that's a really simplified version, but if you're looking on a grand scheme of things like, downsizing from a house to a van like when you answer those questions yourself it becomes really simple about what to cut and what to keep that that's a big example for a lot of people that freaks freaks them out like if you think of a house like imagine fitting all of this in a van like a couch no way like you couldn't fit a lot of what we have around here so so it is a good exercise but no one has to move into a van to do that exercise you can start looking today and i know there's lots of different like for someone watching like Marie Kondo, I, I learned about minimalism through a YouTuber called Matt Diavella. And, you know, there's there's lots of ways you can learn whether you take all your clothes out of the closet and for one week or one month, you everything you wear after you wear it, put it into the closet. And then everything you don't wear after the month, that's still on your floor and your laundry. That's, you know, you don't wear that stuff. So you can donate, you can sell, you can make a positive experience. I know some other people go take this to the extreme like they pack their whole life everything they own from crockery and tv and whatever they put everything in a box and if they don't use or open a box for one month or two months or it stays in there kind of like when you're moving into a place everything's a box they just donate it it's it's, in, it's been in this box for two months like where am i when am i going to use it and so that's a really easy way to think about decluttering your your life like everyone's like some people just have their favorite mug like i've got an avocado mug that i just that's all my mugs. Like, that's the only one I need. Why do you need 10, 10 mugs? Um, I suppose there is that rainy day anxiety of, well, what if someone comes over and I don't have a glass to give them? Like, that's a different story. I don't think you're ever going to have like 25 people over <laughs> using glass cups. But, you know, it's not a big deal. But I think people should just start to question themselves, their values. And what do you really need? Do you need those 10 pairs of runners? Or, you know, you don't, that's bad for your wallet. It's bad for the environment. Um, and it's probably just going to overwhelm you when you go to pick a pair of runners before you go for a run to the gym. Yeah, beautifully said. And I think like that sort of opens up another can of worms about like shopping and thrifting stuff that's already been used. What are your, what are your thoughts on, on thrifting and, and getting things that are secondhand? Bro, thrifting is my vibe at the moment. I only started thrifting recently, like I'd say this year. Uh, Country Town Australia has incredible thrifting opportunities. Like, uh, nothing I'm wearing right now is I've gotten from a thrift shop, but I, I don't have, I don't own a pair of jeans. The jeans that I'm wearing are my fiance's jeans. Do not own a pair. So we share the same jeans. That's awesome. So it's just, and for some people it's like, no, I need my own thing. Cause you have that. We have like an attachment to having something that's ours, whatever that comes from childhood trauma. We won't go into it. And, <laughs> but thrift, like I bought <laughs> at the moment, my sportswear, almost all of my sportswear from a thrift shop. I bought, I found a pair of skins. For $3, like Skins is like a brand of like compression wear. I found it. Then I went back to that same thrift shop a few months later. I found another long, long pair of like compression for like $3. I found a sports top for $2 and I probably have all my sporting gear for like 30 bucks. And so not only is that incredible for my wallet, but you feel great for the environment. And, and also a lot of thrift shops, they're charities, they're non-for-profit. You're Instead of paying this corporation that may or may not be ethical, you're directly paying an organization that runs on volunteers and that that feeds the homeless people or that is the Red Cross or the Salvation Army like we have in Australia. And I think 
it is a very cyclic decision. Like from your money, everywhere your money is going in that cycle is positive. So I think thrifting, huge plus. Fast fashion, huge, huge down. So yes, you can get a $1 top at Target. You know, do you want to think about where that $1 shirt came from? I don't know. Do you want to think about what child made that? I don't know. Um, if, if that is even the case, depending on where you're purchasing. But yeah, I think everything, you know, I think about it from an environmental lens a lot of my life because that's my values. Everything, every decision you make has an environmental impact, whether that's to your fellow human beings, to the animals, to the planet, to yourself. Everything has an impact. And you just want to make sure that in your life, this is my philosophy, in your life, the decisions you make, make have the best possible impact. That's it. Beautifully said, and I think you hit the nail on your head when we've got so much ignorance into how our products got to where they are. Like, mm-hmm. we look at it from uh, a veganism or, or a reducing your meat intake. People are like, oh, like, I can't live without meat. But then you ask them to question how your meat got there. It comes in a, you know, you go to the supermarket shelf, it comes in like a neatly packaged see-through container. Looks amazing. No one cares about where it come from. But if you ask someone, it's like, oh, no, I don't want to know. Why? Like, why are we not educating ourselves on where our products are coming from? Would that make us rethink our decision? Mm. If they do, then maybe we do need to know. You know what I mean? Like, if you actually knew where your clothes came from, would you stop buying them? If you knew where your product came, would you stop buying them? You know, so it sparks a very interesting conversation. I think, like, we're happy being ignorant and we're happy not facing or not being confronted with decisions that might take us away from our quote-unquote norm. Mm, I agree. I think, you know, there's a level, firstly, like there's those people who think it's it's cute to be stupid. Like there's that genre of people who are just like, ah, I don't know. But when that cognitive distance and that that wanting to keep your head buried in the sand, it's very, very fascinating. Uh, I can't say I've ever been on that side of the spectrum. So I'm not super empathetic to why people are there. Like I kind of get it that people i understand human beings love order they love um they hate change really human beings hate change a lot of the times they want the same barber every time they want the same friday nights kung pao chicken night you know they want that order and in a life of chaos where we can't control this virus that's come out we can't control the border openings we can't control a lot of these things i understand why people hold on to and cling on to in an, in an unhealthy extreme way their biases and are unwilling to change. I get it. Now, could we say that that is ethical? No. Like, you wouldn't say that about anyone. Or someone who, say, every time you buy a top, you're, you're in, in terms of fashion, you're funding slave labor. Like, you making your feel, feel yourself better by keeping her buried in the sand doesn't change the fact that that child has to work all these hours for cents on the dollar. So it's, yeah, it's, I, I get it, but I think that is a very, very crappy and selfish excuse. And I'll just be real about it. Like I, I have compassion, but I think I think sometimes we have to call it as it is. Like we're a bit of a censored society. And if you're contributing harm to other people, you need to be called out regardless of what that industry is. Yeah, I think that's... um. That's beautifully said and like it comes from education, right? And leading with an open mind and and educating yourself and educating others around you about these things and 
about how to approach a situation, like how to change your mindset, how to think beyond that present moment is mm. something that can be applied to all facets of life, whether that's fitness, thinking about the long term, thinking about where your clothes came from, thinking about how your products got there mm. to influence your decision. Um, I think once we start to cut open those can of worms and really focus on bringing it back to our values and knowing how these things happened, it become, makes the decision a lot easier. Doesn't 100%. It? It, it, people always say, you know, humans are more superior to animals regardless of, of the environment, whether it's for veganism or something else. Like humans are more superior like because we can think outside of the present moment. But really, human beings don't exercise that logic a lot. There's a big saying that I, I kind of subscribed for a long time is logic is a superpower. And people say we are superior because of this, but yet you don't act like that. And, and yeah, it's, it's a huge cognitive dissonance. People live in this state of irony. And it's just about being present and conscious and critical of yourself. Why do I think these things? How do I think these things? How is what I'm doing affecting someone else? If you say something mean or insensitive, how does that affect the other person? It's something I'm learning all the time, but it doesn't mean that, I'm perfect. Like I'm super imperfect when it comes to this kind of stuff, but that doesn't mean I don't have to try. It doesn't mean that because I hurt this person's feelings, I have to change in this way. It doesn't mean, oh no, that's too hard for me. To change is too hard. So I'm just going to continue hurting this person's feelings. That's just, if you put it that way, who's going to, you're going to be a twat, a tool. You're going to be so looked down upon if you do something like that. It's funny. I hear this quote related to fitness all the time. And it's, if you your tire bursts. You don't go around and slashing all the other three tires. Yeah. You go and fix that one tire, right? So that mm. can be related to life and ignorance. Like if you know that there's an issue somewhere or you've identified that that is making, I guess, making someone feel a certain way, why would you then continue to do it, right? Do the work and, and fix that one thing. Don't just say, oh, stuff it, I don't know how to do it. Like let's slash the rest of the four tires you know what i mean i like, love that analogy i mean and at the same merit let's let's take that analogy even deeper let's say your one tire burst but you don't want to acknowledge that your tire burst so you keep driving and then it ruins the whole tire it ruins your rim and then in the long run when you eventually admit that hey your tires burst it's not just a new tire that you have to purchase you have to purchase a new driving axle you have to and you've damaged either yourself and your body especially when it comes to the fitness side of things or you've You've damaged, maybe this is someone else's car. You've made that decision for them. Yeah, beautifully put. I think, um, yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. Now, I think we've given people an insight into minimalistic living, living, and I think it's got people thinking about how they can definitely lead a life with products and things in their life, people, products that serve them the most. I'd love to take a bit of a spin now and talk about some trending topics in the the vegan scene. I don't mm-hmm. know if you listened to the recent podcast with Simon Hill, The Proof, talking about lab-grown dairy. Have you heard? Ah, oh, he just came out with that the yeah. other um, the other day. I haven't listened to that. It's the one I'm up to at the moment. What are your thoughts on an open mind to from I guess from an environmental and ethical point of view mm-hmm. for lab-grown animal-based products? If the taste profiling is the same, mm-hmm. if the environmental impact is better than mm-hmm. our current agricultural system. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on, on lab-grown animal products? Cool. I have a few thoughts. I have interviewed people who 
actually are in the industry. So I have a decent understanding of what goes on in terms of these Petri dishes and how it works. But really simply put, it is at the moment a more environmentally friendly way to have, especially intensive um, foods like dairy or beef, because you've got about, depending on the study you look at, about a 98 to 97% reduction in land use, water use. You're growing things in a Petri dish. If someone pictures like a brewery, like a big brewery of beer and you've got little Petri dishes. And then in terms of the ethics, just to touch on that, sometimes you just need, um, you don't need to kill the animal in order to create these things. You sometimes you just need a stem cell swab from like the um, ear or maybe in the future they'll get it from just feces. And, and So you don't need to cull the animal. You just need a bit of stem cells from them and, environmentally it is a much better option i'd be curious to see what it actually looks like at scale um you know 2013 when they had their first burger created it was something like i think it was like 500,000 pound uh euros it cost for that one burger and now we're down to about 13 dollars just not even 10 years later so the scale and the price and it will taste better it will be cheaper um, I think it's something that everyone can look forward to so you don't have to compromise on your taste buds if you want a more environmentally friendly uh, option to your traditional uh, animal based or from the actual live animal themselves. Yeah, really well said. I think, you know, ethics aside, um, we're definitely getting better at, at the way we approach a situation. Like science is incredible when oh, you think of it. Like yeah. the fact that we can take a little swab from something and create a product that is almost identical is incredible. And, mm. you know, like I, I'm conflicting with opinions because I'm like, well, it's sort of like a band-aid fix for the real issue, right? Mm. Like why can't we just stop being ignorant and reduce our reliance on this, these products from the forefront? But then the other part of me is like... Got to meet right, people where they're at. Yeah, true. And like I think it's all about a balance, right? And if that's going... If that's the answer to get people to reduce their reliance on animal-based products, um, I think it's a win for me. Um, would you personally consume them or...? I, I probably would, um, purely out of curiosity. Like I didn't stop eating meat because I didn't like the taste of it. Yeah. I stopped because of the environmental aspect and then the ethical aspect. It's And of course now the health aspect, but... In terms of what I find really fascinating, there's still high levels of saturated fat. There's still high levels of cholesterol in there, stuff that we, and, and sodium, stuff that we want to stay away from. But I know that they do actually have the capability to alter the nutritional uh, components. So they can eventually remove or at least reduce the levels of cholesterol, assuming that doesn't impact the price or the taste to something that's a lot more nutritionally adequate or at least health promoting and not disease promoting so they can amend the saturated fat so i will not be the first monkey on the rocket to try that but i think i will eventually try it would you yeah i don't know i like i i think curiosity would win and i would probably try it but i don't like the taste of these yeah products like i didn't give up meat because like i i like I didn't enjoy it. Like I didn't mm. really like the taste of meat. I didn't like dairy or I grew to not like it. As a kid, I loved meat and that's because all I knew. But my mindset is in a different place now. Like I mm. love, I don't know, seasoned tofu. That, oh, that yeah. excites me, man. Like <laughs> from a schnitzel point of view, like putting breadcrumbs on a piece of tofu, like that excites me. And the taste and the flavor profile is just amazing. I don't think that I could... I could get enjoyment from those products when I've grown to love these products, if that makes sense. But yeah, yeah I, I guess the curiosity would prevail and I would try it. 
Well, they, you know, to be fair, they you're not their market. Yeah. Their market is the people who still currently consume these animal products. Yeah. Like I went to Grilled and had their Impossible Burger and I ate it and I'm like, look, I understand where people are coming from with this. I personally felt sick for about 24 hours. I'm just like, I just, I feel like I just ate an animal product and that didn't set sit well with me at a mental standpoint. But also like, I feel like the level of sodium in that just completely through like one bite of that is probably daily allowance of sodium. Like it was just stupid. So I definitely wouldn't recommend anyone eat it like they are eating animal meats. Now, I mean, we should all be shifting towards those whole plant foods. But if you're going out on a Friday night and you want a cheeky cellular made beef or something, I absolutely do not see a problem with that, especially if it's not like using the insane amount of resources that it is now. It's not contributing to the clearing of the Amazon forest. It's not contributing to a stupid use of our resources such as water. So I think it's a great thing for society, um, but I would still, on the nutritional side of things, I'd rather someone be eating black beans. Yeah, beautifully said. I um, I definitely do agree with your opinion and, and share the same values. Now, Tom, bring it back to your podcast, mate. I, um, I love your show. I love how it's taking a, a more science approach now. You're interviewing, like you've you read off before, the, the list of upcoming interviews, which excited me. And I, I love your passion for knowledge and your passion for relaying this information in an easy to digest field. Where do you see the future of the, the Plant Paradigm podcast first? And then what's been the most rewarding past, part of having this platform? Um, that's a great question. Look, the, the future just comes down to the mission. I understand the mission behind the podcast is simply to be a hub for community and knowledge. So if someone has a question and they message me that question, I've, I've had messages of um, people who want certain uh, people asking for certain guests in which I've reached out and had those conversations to serve the community and to facilitate those uh, conversations that come with the knowledge that people are after. So it's just about the, the future is simply staying as it is. So facilitating conversations where we, we don't just listen to a podcast and, all right, cool, wham, bam, I'm going to go forward with my day as if I didn't listen to it. But taking those conversations and then understanding the information to a way that I can go home and transmit that to my friends and family and to continue these healthy dialogues well beyond a 60-minute conversation that you listen to on your transit to work or whatever it Maybe so. The future is simply to to be a hub of knowledge, to further facilitate conversations on how we can be the best version of ourselves for for ourselves, for other beings, and for the planet. Um, and my favorite part is really just to selfishly be able to meet incredible people to to learn myself, but also to see. You know, over the past two two and a half years since I've been doing the interviews, science has changed a lot. Um, new IPCC reports have come out that have completely changed who we are as people, but it also kind of documents the mentality of these researchers, of these human beings that are in the field. Solidifying that is incredibly powerful. And so I think sharing that way, that in a relatable way to people is something I'm really excited about as for the future of the podcast, but also just keeping it down to the bare minimum. Plants have this opportunity as a tool, as a platform, uh, that can address climate change. You can still be the best version of yourself. There's no end goal for it. There's no, like, I will get to X amount of listeners or I will interview 
um, Joe Rogan just to roast him on the podcast for 30 minutes. All I want. There's no nothing like that. As much as I'd love to roast him, and I've said that many times on the podcast, how many pet peeves I have with that that guy um, and what he says is just illogical. But that's a side note. Um, there's no, it's, it's just a quest to further these powerful, impactful conversations on how we can better all things. Yeah, I think that you hit the nail in the head when you said you don't just listen to a podcast and then, you know, you're going with your everyday life. You you listen, you extract information, you educate yourself, you empower others, and then you implement a lifestyle where where these things, you know, come up more often. Like I've never listened to a podcast and been like, wow, like I can't wait not to do that. <laughs> or You know what I mean? Like you listen to something, you're like, oh, cool, I'm going to give that a shot. Yeah. Like, I mean, amazing. I've tried listening to podcasts that I completely disagree with. Um, I think that's really constructive. Um, I've listened to a few where I'm just like, man, you are just speaking out of your butt. Like one of those ones, no references, just this is my opinion and it's controversial. So it gets more likes and downloads. So I think it's healthy to exercise patience in that way of trying to listen to things that you really disagree with. Kind of like what we said earlier, like it's not now that I'm vegan, I'm superior and I know all things because I live in a van and I'm X, Y, and Z, this is who I identify as it's I still don't understand 99% of things and it's important to put yourself in a position where you are still questioned to your core on who you are if I like I understand purchasing Cavendish bananas isn't the most ethical thing because 98% of our banana purchases are just Cavendish now there's this disease called Panama 4 that's wiping out that race of bananas and eventually we're going to be stuck without bananas that's a scary thing to know now I'm a huge fan of bananas. I'm a banana connoisseur. Do I stick my head in the sand because that's a fact? No, it's about constantly educating yourself, even if it's something you don't want to hear. And so I love listening to podcasts that are pro-meat. Why are they pro-meat? Like, I don't just think, oh, no, do your grumpy grandpa voice and go on with your day. But yeah, I think it's incredibly important to question our reality, our values. Because if you listen to that podcast about why meat is good and you think, oh no, you know, they didn't consider this or, you know, it it prepares you for further conversations, but it it, it also is a dialogue between that host, whether you're watching a YouTube video or a podcast and yourself, because when you're listening to two of us, there is a third person in this conversation, that's you and your thoughts that are happening simultaneously while we're conversing. So, yeah, that's just my additional two cents on that. Beautifully said, come with an open mind and an open heart, my friend. I love it. That's it. Tommy, it's been a pleasure, mate. You've um, you've really been super insightful in this podcast and given me a a bit of knowledge I didn't know, particularly about those bananas. So it's, oh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's scary. Yeah, there's a there's a book called um, Eating to Extinction um, by Dan Saladino, not the other Saladino, <laughs> not Paul Saladino, but Dan Saladino. Yeah, I'm having it on the podcast hopefully soon. But yeah, there's a lot of issues we have with like. Haas avocados, like 80% of the vanilla that we actually extract from our crops come from one country. A lot of our, when we're talking about coffee, we're looking at Arabica and Robusta. Um, A lot of these coffee beans are actually, the coffee, I don't know if you know how they grow, but they're very fussy. They have to be between, I think it's like a thousand meters and 1200 meters above sea level. And this is really impacting, um, impacted by climate change. So we've got about uh, 2.4 to 24 million people, depending on the stat you look at, whose jobs are at, on edge because of the climate change. And there's lots of things that we purchase that are just risky because they're grown in Ethiopia and it's only Ethiopia and then it's becoming out of way. So yeah, it's, it's important to know where your food comes from so you're not contributing 
to something that's bad. It's like veganism isn't perfect. You always got to learn. Plants have their own um, baggage, so to speak. But yeah. Beautiful said, mate. I couldn't... I'm blown away by the amount of knowledge that you have. It's um, it's awesome. It's a testament to yourself for continuing education and inspiring other people. Thanks, bro. Where can people get in contact with you, Tommy, if they want to listen to the Plant Paradigm podcast and I guess use this time to share your why and, and why you do the things you do? Uh, look, uh, anyone can reach out on well you, while you're on the podcast app. There's, all, of course, the Plant Paradigm podcast and most actively, I suppose, on uh instagram at plant.paradigm you just drop something man <laughs> what are you doing oh my um yeah so yeah mostly on instagram just plant.paradigm i just share carousels and reels about how we can become the most ethical environmentally friendly and healthiest version of ourselves awesome mate tom it's been an absolute pleasure meeting you it's been an absolute pleasure sitting down for the past three hours and and chatting man it's it's so great the power of social media to connect mm. with like-minded individuals and, and have thought-provoking conversations which inspire others. So thank you so much for firstly providing your platform for me to share my story and then coming on and sharing your story and, and educating and inspiring my community. So thank you so much, mate. Thanks, Matt. It was a pleasure being here. Thanks for all the listeners for lending us your ears over the past hour or so. I really appreciate it. And if you're out there, have a good day.